0: Today's reading is Matthew fifteen twenty nine through thirty nine, um, where Jesus cures many people and feeds um, over four thousand people. After Jesus had left that place, he passed along the Sea of Galilee, and he went up the mountain where he sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, and many others. They put them at his feet. And he cured them, so that that the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way." The disciples said to him, Where are we going to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? Jesus asked them, How many loaves have you? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. Then ordering the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and all of them ate and were filled And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Those who had eaten were 4,000 men, besides women and children. After sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. The word of the Lord.
1: Hey, everybody, especially my parents. Um, once, Ra- once Rachel read that passage, I was like, Ah! Oh, if I would have heard Rachel preach, like, say that passage like a week ago, I would have totally preached a different sermon, <laughs> but it's just part of the process, I guess. Um, what I'm going to preach on this morning is uh, the community that we live in. Um, We at the House of Mercy gather because we're people who who are committed to living out um, the radical vision of Jesus' kingdom of God. This means a radical vision of love for our neighbor and for God. You probably don't come to a place like this unless you like revolution um, and change, because that's most of what we talk about here. Um... We talk about political change, we talk about climate change, we talk about changes in art, changes in the local music scene, uh, changing hermeneutics. But one thing that we talk about a lot is how slow change is. Um, We find that public opinion is hard to change. New ideas are scary or seen as bad or threatening. Media empires, whether they're Fox News, MSNBC, NPR pull the media and the public in so many different directions that it's hard to get a consensus around anything. Um, they're, all, they're all so compelling in their own way um, that it, it pulls the public opinion apart. Corporate greed, um, salaries, uh, bonuses, golden parachutes, labor unions stock options, these things slow change to a snail's pace. Environmental neglect, um, you know, there's, there's an island called Garbage Island in the Pacific Ocean that's supposedly the size of Texas. Um, people neglect recycling, people mistreat animals, um, families are hurting, there's continuous cycles of alcoholism, abuse, insecurity, and these are the things that we try to breathe new life into in this community. Um, these are the, the cycles that we try to speak the love of Jesus into. It, it, and we always keep calling for this revolutionary change in our world. And I really believe that the people in this community go out every week and do that change. Um, you know, we make real change in the world, in this community. We have teachers that work to promote quality education... Um, who work to break cycles of poverty in in different parts of the city, people who work to break cycles of affluence in other parts of the city. We have uh, teachers who are opening minds and hearts to new ideas and teaching tolerance and love. Nurses who go out there and care for the sick and needy. You know, a lot of people here are nurses, I think. Um, we have corporate employees who go out into a really hard workplace and try to advocate for... For more just treatment of uh, nature and of um, the marginalized. Um, you know, a lot of times those people say, I'm working for the man, but you know, if you're not working for the man, somebody else is. I mean, I'd rather have you there, you know. Um, in some ways, that's the hardest job because the values are so messed up in some of those corporations that I really applaud people who spend time there. Um, we have social workers who try to empower those who have been left out and left left down by systems of injustice or apathy. We have passionate environmentalists here who clean creeks or, you know, recycle and all the stuff that environmentalists do. I mean, some of it's so unseen. Um, we have artists who speak prophetically through the music or painting we do here. We have just so many people. If it sounds like I'm going on and on, it's because there's so many people here who do amazing things. Um, Jesus in our text has great crowds come to him and, and he heals the lame and the sick and, and the deaf and the blind and, and, and we as the body of Christ do that every week. I'm confident about that, that this community goes out and is the hands of feet in Christ. And as much as we, um, as difficult as that is, we, we continue to work at it as a community and I applaud you for it. But working for change is slow and there's real opposition And this is what I find is the hardest for myself. Um, I find myself, and I think many of you two do, isolated and depressed. Um, Because the struggle for justice is so difficult. Um, The public opinion or public apathy is so strong that it seems like the systems of oppression that are in place will never be torn down. The media is too powerful, politicians are bought and sold, or just too apathetic. Um, You know, there's diseases we can't seem to cure, uh, and there's times when there just isn't enough money or people to get the momentum we want to see. I mean, so many of these issues require widespread public support for these issues. And, And, like, as a person, you can only advocate, like, to your friends, you know, (laughs) like, and you tell your friends, and then they think, oh, man, just stop talking about it, you know, (laughs) like, we get it, you know, but, um, we, I think we say with the disciples, um, you know, when we, when, when we're just strung out, where, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd, and Jesus says, how many loaves do you have, and they're like seven, and a few small fish, and then Jesus blesses it and makes so much out of it. And, and that's really a miracle that I hold on to. Um, and one that I, in spite of my liberal leanings, hold on, like really want to believe actually happened because I need it to happen. I need it to have happened for myself. Um, the place where I work um, and do justice work and peace work is uh, in rural Kenya, um, uh, we, I have a, a good friend who um, grew up in a nomadic tribe in Kenya and uh, he was he was a nomad Like I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Maasai tribe um, but they um, are a tribe they kind of like it's, it's like the Old Testament basically You know, you're, that's what you're looking at and he grew up in this tribe and he was a herds boy and uh, all his cattle died because um, there was a cattle raid and a bunch of raiders came and killed all his cattle and so he's like oh, I don't have anything to do anymore because I'm a herds boy and he didn't have any food, so he just ran with like 15 other boys and just ran like 200 kilometers across the African bush in Kenya. And he ran into a World Vision feeding truck. And uh, he had never seen a truck and he'd never seen a white person before. And he was like, and he said to me, he was like, we thought that the white people had gotten burned or something and that all their black skin had burned off. Like they had a little quorum with all their, with all like the herds boys. And they're like, how do these people get white? You know, and then they came out of this truck, and they thought it was like another kind of elephant. And, and so they were like, uh, okay, we're super hungry. Do you have any food? <laughs> and I guess that won the day. Um, but this World Vision feeding camp started, and uh, and he learned to read and write. And uh, and then he became a World Vision kid. And uh, if anyone's familiar with World Vision kids here, uh, you know, they're, you usually on a refrigerator, you'll see them. Well, he was one of those kids. Um, he got his school paid for, and then he went off to do work at uh, um, Daystar University in Kenya, and, uh, and then he came to do his masters at Bethel, and that's where I met him. Um, we became really good friends, um, because my white guilt complex and his African need really found a match. You know, like, there, was a, there was a natural fit there. <laughs> and, uh, and so I learned a lot about helping people through that experience. Um, we became roommates. And he's like a 32-year-old uh, African man. He's like a grown man. And he doesn't have his two front teeth, because in that tribe, they pull out your teeth. Like when you're a man, they circumcise you and pull out your teeth when you're 13. And if you flinch, then you are done skiing. They throw you out of the tribe. So uh, they're just like, you can't hack it in this tribe if you can't get your two teeth pulled out. So... So we were just an odd couple walking around. I co-signed for his bank account. I taught him how to drive, all this stuff. So it was just amazing friendship. And I learned so much about life and about America. And, you know, when you have to explain American social norms to people, you really start to re-examine them. Um, And it really, that really happened. And uh, I remember one time I was standing outside my car and I said, I said, you want to get in my car? And he's like, your car? I was like, yeah, it's my car. He's like, this is our car. I was like, this is not our car. You do not own this car. I don't even own this car. My parents own this car. (laughs) And he's like, no, it's our car because we're a community. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) And I just did not. I mean, it was just, it just blew, times like that just completely blew me out of the water so many times and have changed my world. Um, So Michael went back and uh, he decided he wanted to help the kids. And uh, yeah, so he, he went out to uh, his rural tribe in Kenya. And this, the way that these tribes work is that there are um, floating tribes that, wa- that wander around out there. And uh, there's no food and there's no vegetation. So they just have cows and they wander around. And uh, all the tribes have a sacred story that God gave them the cows. Every tribe has this story, Right. So as you can imagine, any other cow that belongs to any other tribe was at some point stolen from them. And because everyone has this thing, they're all completely justified murdering each other. Um, So they have ex-Soviet rifles um, that they bought from Sudan, and uh, they just shoot at each other all day long. Um, And in this small small part of Kenya, about the size of Minnesota, there's 80,000 people who live up there, Um, just... They're kind of like Native Americans um, in some ways, but they have AK-47s. And a few of them have cell phones, which I thought was weird. Um, so Michael got 150 kids who had been uh, orphaned or ostracized by this process of uh, um, war and poverty in this neighborhood. And he got all these kids together, and he got really excited, and he got three teachers. And then 15 minutes later, he called me up, and he was like, Hey, Nathan, you want to start a school? And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I got all these kids here, and we need money. And I was like, oh, Okay and uh, that's how I started a school so so it wasn't very romantic actually Uh, so for two years I was working on this school and then uh, Michael told me to come over so I came over there and uh, we got a truck and we went up into the bush to go check things out and uh, I went to these cattle camps where they had all these there was like 5 year old to 15 year old boys uh, who all were herding cattle this was their job just to herd cattle, and they'd never seen a white person before, and they were, like, totally stunned, they, they were, they were, it was like, I felt like Christopher Columbus, like, these people, were, they were just, like, staring at me, like, totally wide-eyed, a couple of them wanted to kill me, when I first got there, because they thought I was for the government, I think they might have thought that I was a British person who was left over from the colonial days, because um, they don't really have a sense of time there, but, uh, but anyways, this old guy that we've been hanging out with is like, ah, shut up, you know, this guy's cool, so, that was really nice, so, uh, <laughs> I didn't think that guy liked me either. He didn't say anything. He was really, he, he, he only had one eye that worked, and he wore this, like, funny bucket hat that he got somewhere, and, like, but he was from way out there, and he, he but he ate a lot of food that I bought for him, so I think I was, he was cashing in on that favor. Um, so we went out there, and all these cat boys do is, um, all they have to eat is blood. That's all they drink is blood. So they shoot an arrow through the neck of, a, of the cow, and then drain the blood, and then they just drink it. That's like their food. And if, they're, if the cows are okay, then they milk them a little bit um, and mix it with the blood. So that's basically all they eat. And if a cow dies, then they eat it. Um, and if you're over 15, then you are a tribe man, and you um, get a gun. You get an AK-47. Um, so 15 to 30, AK-47. And your job is to hide out in the woods while the little kids walk around with the cows Your job is to hide and make sure if anybody comes and tries to steal the cows, that you shoot them. Like, that's your whole day. That's all you do for the day. And at the end of the day, everyone comes together, and they say, did you lose any cows? No, I didn't lose any cows. Did you shoot anybody? Yeah, I shot somebody. Did they get away? Yeah, they got away. You know, and so when I was out there, I went out there into one of these cattle camps, and we had a tent. And uh, once I got out there, I was like... I was like, Michael, are there any other tribes out here? He's like, oh, no, you're very safe. And I was like, uh, how safe? And he's like, i pretty safe. He's like, there's another tribe that is a warring tribe, but they're two miles away. I was like, two miles? That's pretty close. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but the, all the people in the tribe are going to do a don't attack us tonight dance. Really, And they'll yell really loud to tell the other tribe not to attack us because there's a white person here. I was like... Are you sure you want to tell them that there's a white person here? But anyways, I made it, so that's an important thing. <laughs> um, and as we left that part, um, it was really sad. We, we left, and, uh, and Michael said, you know, these people that you met, a lot of them will be dead by the time you come back next year. Um, so just know that when you're meeting these people. And that was really, really hard for me to see and, like, as I drove away, I felt so stressed out. I don't know if anyone's ever been in a super dangerous situation, but I was just so stressed out after being there, because I, I didn't realize how stressful it was living there. Um, but then we went out to um, a village where the women live. And in this village, there is, um, there are little huts, like the thatch huts that we have. And uh, in the thatch huts, uh, there's one thatch hut with a man in the middle. And then all around, there's all his wives all have their own thatch huts with their kids. And each person has like three to six wives. You're not, really, you're not considered a man in that tribe unless you have at least two wives. So you're not allowed to vote in tribal meetings unless you have two wives. Because they say, if you're not rich enough to have two wives, we don't care what you have to say. Which I thought was weird, but... So everybody gets two wives. Um, and... There's a lot of polygamy, a lot of polygamy, and um, the polygamy is perpetuated by female um, genital mutilation, there's female circumcision. Um, And so they're just a a whole host of horrible atrocious atrocious things that go along with being a woman in that tribe. You have no standing, you have no rights. They buy you for 30 cows, and then they keep you um, until they're done with you, and then... Like, if you can't have kids, you're done. You just They just leave you. Um, we met one woman whose name was Mary. And one of the problems is um, that when you do female circumcision, um, there's a lot of scarring that happens. And so when you have a baby, there's a good chance that things can get really ripped. And uh, her uh, uterus fell out um, during childbirth, and she wasn't able to get it back in. And uh, so... I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story of the bleeding woman, but um, there if you bleed, you're ceremonially unclean. So you have to, So she had to sit under a tree um, with, away from her tribe for two years. Um, she finally moved to another town. We actually picked her up, and, uh, and we helped her get a surgery, and, uh, so, and then she was able to go back and start her life over, so that was really a blessing. But there's so many women who have um, problems like this, and it's just it's really difficult. Um, when I was out there, there was a, a man whose son had been shot while he was herding cattle, and he, his son had gotten shot right through, the, right through the back and out the front, and it was padded up like this. He survived. And uh, his dad looked at me, and he was like, I know you're, you're powerful because you're a white person, and we know that we don't know. We've never seen a white person before, but we know white people have buildings, and we want buildings. We want you to bring a building because you're a powerful white person because how else could you have got here if you weren't rich? Because no one's ever been here before, and I, I just wanted to like sit him down and be like, okay, let me talk to you about class and you know like I'm not very rich, and da, 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 da. but I just sat there and was like, and he was like, I want you to build a school for my son so he doesn't get shot again, and he had tears in his eyes, and it was unbelievable to have somebody say that to me, and just have no conception of who I was. Um, and when I came home, it, it it's really been difficult. Um, if anybody really believes in something, you can know how isolating it is to believe in something. Um, you try to tell the story to people, and everybody has so many things they believe in that it's difficult to like be like, I want everyone to believe in my thing. <laughs> and, um, and so this story of the feeding of the 4,000 really means a lot to me because... Um, I've talked to Debbie about this before. When I just get so down about what, what I'm going to do, you know, when there's not enough money and um, there's so many kids and I just remember all the things people saying and all the people that are counting on me because they actually made me part of their tribe. I'm one of only two white people that's ever been inducted into the tribe. Um, and I had to kill a goat and then cut open its intestines and then they covered me in the goat crap from the intestines. And I was out in the middle of nowhere in the bush. And I thought I was dead for sure. I was like, there's no way I'm getting back. Like, this is it, Michael. You ruined me. <laughs> I was so mad at him. Because he said, he said We're, they're going to paint you green. That's what he said. And I thought it was like Native American green. You know, with the paint. But he meant goat shit. <laughs> and, and I did not know that. <laughs> and I was upset about that. Um... And, but then when they initiated in the tribe, there was this one blind guy who was there. And about halfway through, he was blind, and somebody must have said something. And he goes, is there a white guy here? <laughs> and Michael was like, yeah, there's a white guy here. He's like, why? <laughs> and they were like, he wants to be part of the tribe. And the, and the blind guy thought for a minute, this guy was old. He was like, good. We need all the help we can get. <laughs> so... So then they made me part of the tribe, and then they, when they were praying over me at my tribal initiation, they said, "Wherever you go, we're praying that people hear our story through you." And I was like, "Thank you for the prayer, but also no pressure." <laughs> so it's been a lot to to carry, um, but this place has helped me carry it because this place doesn't just teach you about the feeding of the five thousand; it teaches you about the cross, and and the feeding of the five thousand is only you know six chapters away from the cross and I think anytime you believe in something you sometimes you get the feeding of the 4,000 and sometimes you get the feeding of the 5,000 and sometimes you get the cross you know and, and there's some nights where things do there's sometimes where Michael calls me and says things are not working out and it's really hard but this place is is, is a place that's so real to come to when you can when you don't have somebody telling you things are going to be okay you have somebody reminding you that there's the cross waiting for you and if you're doing the right thing then you're going to get that cross Um, and so I preach not um not to have you give me money or not to have you give me support but to support you in what you're doing um I want you to continue to believe in what you believe in um and continue to fight for what you're fighting for. And, and know that I'm doing that too. And that I want to be a part of a community of people who fight for what they believe in. And not give up. Even though we have a cross waiting for us. Um, and to live in that paradox of the feeding of the 4,000 and the cross. So uh, thank you for being in that community for me and helping me um, in some pretty dark times. And some being there to celebrate with me in some pretty great times too. So thank you so much.